Hey, it's me, Colin. Before we get into this week's knockback, I want to remind you that all things Colin's Last Stand, Fireside Chats, SideQuest, Knockback, and more, are fan-funded at patreon.com slash Stand. While your patronage isn't required, it is super helpful and allows CLS to continue producing content. Supporting CLS on Patreon also gets you perks depending on your level of patronage, like exclusive podcasts, week early access to every episode of Fireside Chats and Knockback, the ability to vote on show topics, and more. If you like what CLS does, please consider showing your support. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your continued kindness and generosity. Trust me, it's not lost on me. And now, it's time for Knockback. Enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. As always, I'm joined by my brother, Dark Jedi, Dagan Moriarty. Hi, guys. How are That's not the way a Dark Jedi Hi, would. guys. Uh, no? He speaks common. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am dark. I don't know if I'm a Jedi, though. No, you are. Well, no, you're definitely not. You're not talented enough to be a Jedi, and neither am I. No. We're both... We'd both just be fodder for a lightsaber somewhere. Dagan, <laughs> today I want to do... Well, actually, I don't want to do it. The audience picked this one. We're happy to do it. Oh, sure. This topic is the Star Wars Expanded Universe. This was voted on by patrons over at patreon.com slash Stand. For those of you that don't know, this is all basically fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand, And we have thousands of people over there giving us anything from a dollar and higher a month to make this content. And if you support us at the $2 and up tier every month on patreon.com slash Collins last stand you get to vote on topics that we would cover on this show as well as other shows fireside chats doesn't have the vote but side quest my video game show does so this is a nice way for us to interact and this is one of two topics during this round of knockback this so-called season two of knockback the other being seinfeld that the audience voted for us to do now Dagan, this is a huge and ambitious topic and you and i were kind of grappling with how we should probably cover it sure and it's a tough one because there are literally hundreds of books in the expanded universe in Star Wars, plus a bunch of other stuff, video games, etc. You know, the, there, there's, there's, there's a role-playing game, customizable card game. There's a ton of stuff that you can cover. So this is way too ambitious for one topic. So the, what I wanted to do, Dagan, and I think that you'll probably agree, and hopefully the audience thinks that it suffices, is I want to talk about some of our favorite books and our favorite kind of, because not only books, it doesn't have to only be books, but sure. some of our favorite pieces of the expanded universe but I also kind of want to gripe a little bit about the expanded universe and what's and what Lucasfilms and Disney really has done to the expanded universe and go from there. So hopefully the audience is okay with that because again, it's just too hard to we would be here forever. It would be an, that's an entire series really, nonetheless. It's a lot episodes. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff. So how invested are you, were you, will you be? in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. For people that don't know before you answer, sure. the Expanded Universe is basically nomenclature for Star Wars fans and actually for Lucasfilm. And it goes way back actually to the 70s and we'll get into that. But it's nomenclature for what's not core Star Wars as in the films. It's things that basically Lucas didn't have his hands in or on. And that's not necessarily fully true because he was involved in some things like Shadows of the Empire and stuff, which we'll talk about. But what is your investment in this? How, how much do you care about this? I initially cared very much about it. As you remember, Kyle, we had almost, we had very little Star Wars content for a period of time after the initial trilogy came out, after Return of the Jedi, so 1983, there was a sort of a, there was sort of a lull and a, and a dead period. So when this content started to come back to us in the 90s, 
it was very, very special to us, I would say, because it was, it was giving us something more. It was opening up the universe and exciting us about something because we never thought – we got to put this back in historical context a little bit too. We never thought there would be another movie after Return of the Jedi. We pretty much figured that it was just the end and that that was the end of Star Wars. So when this content started to float out and about again and set the, the template for the things to come, good or bad, it was very exciting. You know, we were really, really trying to, as these novels came out, and I won't say what they are yet and stuff like that, but as these novels and these multimedia projects and different things started to drop, we were, we were I, well, I should say I was, I was devouring it early on. How about you? Yeah, it's 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 similar. I mean, I wasn't contemporary to the original trilogy, the beloved trilogy, to, to kind of ground the and foundationally place this conversation for the audience. Star Wars A New Hope comes out in 1977, Empire Strikes Back 1980, Return of the Jedi comes out in 1983, and then there's a 16-year gap until Phantom Menace 1999, Attack of the Clones in 2002, and Revenge of the Sith in 2005. So those are like the six core movies. Three of them we wish didn't exist at all, and we'll get into that because that that goes into what happens (laughs) with the expanded universe. But you're right. There's this interstitial period that's actually rife with amazing storytelling. For Star Wars, some of the best storytelling, I actually think some of the best stories that Star Wars could possibly have or have contained as a, as a galaxy, as a universe, as a storytelling and fictional universe. And what's interesting about it is what's happened to it more recently. What's also interesting about it, Dagan, is that in, in, in reading around, in trying to kind of search around, going through my old books and looking at book lists, there is way more than I thought there was. Now, I knew that there was stuff like in the 21st century that I didn't know about because I stopped reading Star Wars books in the late 90s. But even during that time when I was reading, when I was devouring Star Wars books, probably from the time I was 9 or 10 until I was maybe 14 or 15. Oh, you were young. Yeah. Yeah, that's a there good was, there, I was I was pretty confident that I had read everything. But I didn't read nearly everything. Yeah. There, there were, and, and that surprises me because... In looking at these lists, this, this this list of scores of books, I don't remember even seeing these things. Like when I would see a Star Wars book at Borders with Dad, and I was also part of this like this fantasy and sci-fi book club, similar to like Columbia House. Oh, that's House. cool. I never knew about that. So yeah, in the '90s, I was part of this. I don't remember what it was called, but it was it was you know, for those out there that might remember like Columbia House and stuff like that, where you would get CDs. Back in the day, it was like records and cassettes, but you would get CDs. Like basically, they would send you like 12 CDs for a, a, a penny. And then you'd be on the hook to buy like four CDs at cost from them from like, you know, for 18 months or something like that. And I manipulated the shit out of that with music when I was a kid because it was like the Wild West. I, I probably got literally 50 CDs from Columbia House without buying anything. I don't know. And then obviously, they kind of went out of business. I don't know how the hell that was happening. But with the. <laughs> it was strange. With the fantasy book stuff. You would basically like select your seven or eight books and they would send them to you for like, you know, a dollar or shipping or something like that. Right. And then you'd have to be on the hook to buy books. And I actually did that honestly because I had a little bit more money at the time. I was, I was in high school or middle school and I had you know an allowance or I was working. So I was getting books, hardcover books from that. Not only Star Wars books, but a lot of fantasy stuff. Okay. And then f- going into the bookstore and, you know, hardcover books usually wait about a year and then the soft cover comes out. Sure. The paperback. And I felt like I had everything, but I didn't. Did you actually? Did you just order a delivery from the book club? Because I hear something. Oh, what? What is There's somebody at the? Oh, they, I think. Oh, hold on a second. Okay. I'm moving away from my mic. Oh. Forgive me. I'm just answering What's, the door. Oh. A delivery man here. Okay. It looks like he. Oh. Look, would you look oh. at this? He brought us a. What is that? Let me hand these. Oh to my you. God! What are these? On the mic. Thank, thank you for the. Thank you, Mr. Delivery Man. He's what, where did you? Where did you get these? The delivery man just. Oh, came. The del- what do you mean? Where did I get them? The, so you, Dagan just handed me some of the old. 
so all right so let's go into the history of this okay. because this is great Dagan added these to his collection I guess this is no these are for you are you serious yeah you don't own but you do you own these no I just got them I got them from e, from eBay I, I appreciate that that's very sweet of you so, of course sweet. oh so okay this is a little gift so so Dagan got me the Lando Calrissian trilogy and the Han Solo trilogy of books these were from before I was even born these were some of the earliest these are from before books. I was born yeah because you were born what 87 88 so yes. I can't even keep track of your lies anymore, <laughs> your fibs and your lies, your white lies and your serious lies. This is very kind of you. Thank you so much. Oh, you, of course. I hope, yeah, these I hope they books, weren't too expensive. Well, you know, when I started researching, I knew we were doing EU, and I wanted to go back to the earliest things, and I these were a, a trilogy of stories apiece. One is a Han Solo trilogy. One is a Lando Calrissian trilogy. And these came out very early on in the 80s. And these are not, these are reprints. These are actually, the books came out, indivi- each trilogy came out individually, but these are two books Both featuring. Printed in, reprinted in 1994, according to the. So they're yeah. pretty old. Yeah. Very it's cool. pretty classic. It's a knockback thing. So yeah, so that was, uh, I was very, my curiosity was really piqued by those books because I had never heard of them. So yeah, we have to read those. We have to check those oh, out. Oh, that, that sounds like a lot of fun because that was the thing. That was what I was going to say. So let's, let's ground this for, okay. for the audience so that they understand what we're talking about here. Okay. In the expanded universe, as I said, still exists today, but the expanded universe that we grew up with, that Dagan grew up with and that I grew up with, that existed from really, and we'll get into this, from 1976, in fact, the year before Star Wars, it was even launched in 1977, A New Hope, all the way through 2014, when Disney butchered everything, was this, what, what they now call Legends, but this was what we knew as the expanded universe. And for me, the expanded universe always really began with like Timothy Zahn's stuff sure. and some of the early 90s stuff. I really was unaware because it was more nascent internet days and we weren't really looking this stuff up. Obviously, this was not hidden knowledge. These books were in the store in 1994 that you just handed me. Exactly. So I must have missed them at some point. Me too. But basically, things have changed with the expanded universe. And now the expanded universe, as I said, is called the Legends as, as if it really never happened at all. And mm-hmm. there's a new expanded universe that's canon that Disney and kind of new overlords of Star Wars and that, you know, that has gone on to make Episode 7, Episode 8, Rogue One and the soon-to-be-released, or already released, depending on when you're listening to this and when this is posted, the Solo movie, the Han Solo movie. Everything's kind of confusing out there now. And I want to kind of talk a, a great deal about that as well. I don't only want to point Dagan towards the stuff that we really love and the things that we recommend, because it's, it's hard for me to recommend anything knowing that it's not canon anymore. But... In 1976, a year before A New Hope came to theaters, there was actually a book, a novelization of the original Star Wars based on the original script. To the sh- So there's weird things like they don't use the term droids in it because that wasn't in the script and stuff like that. And this was on bookshelves and apparently quite popular, sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I wasn't aware of this until I started reading around and poking around and seeing this. But really the first expanded universe story, the first story that was told outside of the movies that was of some consequence, was in 1978. So a year after A New Hope and two years before The Empire Strikes Back came out, it's called Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and it actually takes place in between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and is about the pursuit of what I think would... Don't they call it a Kyger crystal or something like that, or a Kuiper crystal or some, 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 something like that? It's the crystals that go into the lightsabers. Sure, yeah, Kyber crystal. And this was actually a book that was contracted by George Lucas himself, along with the novelization, 
and later novelizations as well. But this particular book was contracted as a fallback plan in case the original Star Wars A New Hope didn't do well. And they still wanted to make a movie, but they needed to do it on a much lower budget. And I think they did they did the original on like a 10 or $12 million budget. So I don't know how much lower it could have possibly gotten than that, even in the 70s. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. And what's interesting about that book as well is that there's no Han Solo or Chewbacca in it. It's really all about Luke and Leia and the droids and Darth Vader. And ever since then, there has been a litany of books released and a litany of other products released as well, including a role-playing game that I want to talk about because I was a really huge fan of that when I was a kid. That first came out in 1987. But it leads us to the stuff we really love and the stuff we really appreciate. Kathy Tyers was writing books and Dave Wolverton and Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole, etc. and so on, Roger McBride Allen. And these are the books that we really love. But then, obviously, Catastrophe Strikes and everything stricken from the record. So what is your earliest memory, Dagan, if you have one, yeah. of reading these Star Wars books or kind of immersing yourself in these ancillary stories that were endorsed by George Lucas, but George Lucas always somehow made clear that he that they're not, they were canon and they were treated with respect, but they, that he wasn't necessarily beholden to them. So I have to okay. say that to be serious, because or to be, I'm not serious, to be fair rather, because in, in all seriousness, we, we, we make fun of what's happened and we will talk about it obviously but there's an air of like this wasn't always permanent to begin with right exactly yeah well you know what kicking it back over to me here wait i I really want to talk about i mean i'll just i'll just say it we we really want to talk about shadows of the empire but we're not there yet so that's that's the one that's the biggie for me if especially if you're going back to earlier times let's say but there are two Two novels that they came out around the same time as Shadows of the Empire, maybe a slight bit earlier as far as I remember, but there's two books. They were compilation books, and you'll remember, and I think you read them too, Tales from Jabba's Palace and Tales of the Bounty Hunters, which were a collection of short stories, longer short stories, but short stories, each featuring a story, a tale about a specific character, you know, as the titles say. The one book featured te- featured characters centered around characters that we met in Jabba's palace from Return of the Jedi, and the other one featured the six bounty hunters. Um, those were the first two for me that opened up the world to Star Wars, and you know what? They were also those two books were really really in lockstep with I felt then, and I'd really like to they're right on my shelf over here that. I'd really they're my original copies. I'd really like to revisit them because I felt inherently. I think we were always as Star Wars fans, and a lot of people that are listening will relate to this. We were always really sort of. We always got the tone of Star Wars and what felt right and what felt wrong. And these books really struck me even as a younger guy because they really felt they felt right. They were offshoots. They were centering on characters that maybe felt a little more minor and felt a little more insignificant, but it felt, and we were learning something new about them. It was it was showing us a bigger, it was showing us a bigger slice of who they were, their lives, these characters' lives, whatever. But it felt like it was in lockstep with the universe. It felt right tonally. It was right. It felt correct, and it felt like an extension of the things we already knew, rather than so many of the things now that we've witnessed. You know, now we're talk, sitting here talking in 2018, and there's been so many things that have felt wrong. 
you know, some of the some of the old canon stuff, some of the legend stuff. Obviously, the the prequel trilogy of films. So that, those were the first two novels that really struck me, and it was a it was particularly a treat to learn about, even if it was an afterthought, even if it came later, to learn about those the six bounty hunters and their, you know, their sort of plight, their sort of journey, their sort of what got them to that platform on Darth Vader's Star Destroyer, you know, as they were kicking off the search for Han Solo. What about you? Yeah, those are some seminal books. So, so Tales of the Bounty Hunter, Tales, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, Tales from Jabba's Palace. And I also throw in there from the Tales books, Tales from the Empire, which is a, which was released uh. afterwards. It was a red, it was like red. I think it came out maybe a year or two after. I, I think it was Tales of Jabba's Palace first and then Tales of the Bounty Hunters and I then think that's Tales right. from the Empire. Yeah, 95, 96. Yeah, 97, 98, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And you actually lent me your copy of Tales of Jabba's Palace. Oh, cool. I probably, that's probably the copy I have. That's probably, that's put away at dad's house somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then I bought Tales of the Bounty Hunters and Tales from the Empire. And I agree with you. These were very digestible, very page-turny books that didn't require a lot of time, that could be approached in a very cursory way, and that actually told you stories of, not always, but often told you stories about characters that you really cared about, at least with the first two. With Tales of the Empire, you're learning about some characters that are, you know, you're learning about the tale, you know, the, the, a random bound, or I'm sorry, a random stormtrooper, for instance, or something like that, which is awesome. Sure, sure. And you kind of see that the prequels kind of ruin that in a way. And then, of course, we kind of see the tale of a regular stormtrooper actually beginning in episode seven with Finn. So we kind of, that's kind of played into it, that, that kind of intrigue about a, an infantryman, a, a random person who doesn't really have any attachment to the characters or the story as we know it. So that stuff's really cool to me as well. And I agree with you that Shadows of the Empire, which we'll spend some time on, is is really the seminal EU entry in the old EU. What, what, again, what's called now the legends, the, sure. the stuff that's that's fake that Absolutely. we wasted all of our time and money you know, <laughs> focusing on for many years. But there are other things I want to give a shout out to as well. The la- I remember the last Star Wars stuff I actually read was the Han Solo trilogy, A.C. Crispin's Han Solo trilogy. Those books were The Paradise Snare, The Hut Gambit, and Rebel Dawn. Those were released between 1997 and 1998 and really fleshed out Han Solo as well as Leia's story, his relationship with Leia and their children Okay, as well. Where, you know, they have twin kids and then Anakin is like, they have a- Anakin Solo is actually a character. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, and it's an interesting kind of look into... And what is really an alternate post-Return of the Jedi reality that we thought existed. Because what's really important to remember, and you know this, Dagan, but what's really important for the audience to remember in this regard is George Lucas, when the EU was sprouting and when the EU was flourishing in the, in, in the 90s especially, there was a directive that you won't touch anything that happened before A New Hope. Because he always wanted to go backwards. There wasn't really an interest in him, at least originally... For him to go forward. Now, obviously, we learned later, especially in his 60 Minutes interview, I think, after he sold Lucasfilm to Disney in 2012 for $4 billion, he talks a little bit about how he had ideas and how he pitched those ideas to them and they weren't interested in hearing them. Right. So he was thinking about going forward for episode seven, eight, and nine, perhaps, or doing some interstitial movies. But originally, he was much more interested in other authors covering that. And he was going to go backwards to tell the story of Anakin's rise and the story, of course, of the Clone Wars and all of that, which we saw unfortunately, in the prequels. And you know what, Kyle? I'm just remembering as well, there's Tales, Tales from the Most Icely Cantina. I'm right. not sure where it fit in. Oh, yeah, that t- might be the first one. That might the second be. second one. Is that the... That might be. You're I was right. wondering that where that fit That was a great one, in. too. Good, really good. And mm-hmm. mo- and not Bounty Hunters, I don't think, but mo- I should 
pick up my book and check it out. But most Eisley and Jabba's Palace both have Timothy Zahn stories in them. Right, right on. Yeah, and, and obviously he's the seminal author. He still writes about Star Wars today. I mean, he's his name is so deeply associated with the extraneous lore of Star Wars that it's almost surprising. Maybe he doesn't want to do it. Maybe he doesn't really have the chops to do it. I don't know. But it's surprising that he wasn't like maybe brought in to write the new movies, you know, Absolutely. because he was so maybe he's not a he's not a screenwriter, but you could write a treatment or something and 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 have a, a real screenwriter flesh it out. That sure. happens all the time. Sure, sure. There are literal idea man, men that make millions of dollars that don't write anything. Yeah. So I'm not saying that he's worth that. I'm not saying I don't know enough about his his pedigree, but it's it is surprising because he was the one that was telling the most compelling stories. And you know, the other books that I wanted to touch on, some of the some of which he wrote, and, and we don't have to get too deep into them because again, okay. I want to focus on Shadows of the Empire, and then I really want to focus on what happened. And what it means. Because okay. it frustrates the shit out of me. And I don't... Oh, in, I, the, in the story? Not in the story. In, in the arc of these of what these books meant to okay. us and then what they mean to us now I based gotcha. on what happened. I okay. really want to discuss that. I want Knockback to be a celebration of things. I don't want it to be negative. I don't want sure. us to focus on things that are bad. I don't want to do episodes on things we hate. I think it's <laughs> I think it's stupid. I think it's mean-spirited. It's been done. And I think there's plenty of that on the internet. Yeah. There's plenty of Star Wars hate on the internet. I don't want... So I don't want to become that. In other words, sure. I don't want to do a... An epi- a 90 minute episode on something and just make fun of it or, or whatever I don't feel like that's a celebration I don't feel like that's useful to the audience but I think this episode is going to have a little bit more of a negative tenor for me I don't want to necessarily speak for you no I because I feel saying. in a very guttural way yeah like this very core way inside of me that they really shit the bed with a lot of this stuff recently and and you know I don't want to but I don't want to get ahead of myself yet I want to recommend a few other books, though, because actually we have a few questions from the audience. So okay. if you support us at the $2 level or higher on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, as you know, we're going to tip our, our kind of we're going to kind of tip our hand to you every time we record, as we've done here and let you know what we're recording about. And then you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, memories, etc. And we got quite a few on the Star Wars Expanded Universe, and I would, I'd like to go into those. OK. St- Sawyer. McKay writes, looks like a great round of episodes. Thank you so much. We're really excited about this round of episodes, and we hope you're enjoying them so far. I'm especially excited for the Star Wars EU one. I've just recently jumped into it for the first time with the Thrawn trilogy, and Mm. I dig it so far. I'm impressed at how well Zahn writes existing characters and makes them feel like themselves, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Makes sense. I think he understands the Star Wars ethos well enough to make the books feel like they belong. Any other EU stuff you guys would point me to after I finish these? Mm. I'm not going to point you to anything. Because I've not read the new canon ones, and I'm not going to recommend anyone read these things that don't count or don't matter anymore. Sure. But I like that he focused on Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy, because that was a really early memory for me as well. The Thrawn trilogy was written between 1991 and 1993, and includes Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. And I'm actually looking at your copy of The Last Command right now. It's right in front of me. Right there. And... These are seminal works. Other than before Shadows of the Empire, which comes out in 1996 and is incubated in a bit more of a money-grabbing way. And we're going to get into that as well because there was a plan with that. That wasn't supposed to only be a book and it wasn't only a book. It was many other things as well. Right. Those were really good sci-fi novels that happened to be Star Wars. You know, so they weren't campy. They weren't weird. They were they were good, solid sci-fi. And I want to... So I recommend that... You know, you don't read anything else. If you, you why waste your time? Unless you're that interested, you have that much time. <laughs> yeah, you probably should. If you want to read Star Wars books, you should probably move forward and read some of the other ones. And I see that you have some of those books as well. I saw one here recently. Yeah, Where there are a it? bunch in that pile. Yeah, you have like, somewhere in that pile. Aftermath or whatever it was. Oh yeah, you that pile. Yeah, you have a. I'm looking right now at just a pile of like hundreds of books, <laughs> just sitting on the ground. Good for you though. I, I mean, I, I like that as well. The other books I want to recommend 
the Truce of Pakura by Kathy Tires came out in 1993. That was really good. Never the, read that. The Courtship of, Courtship of Princess Leia came out in 1994 uh, by Dave Wolverton. That's a great book. Sure, great book. I, Jedi came out in uh, 1998 by Michael Stackpole. That's a good book. The Karelian Trilogy, which all came out in 1995 by Roger McBride Allen. That was Ambush at Karelia, Assault at Salonia, and she, uh, Showdown at Centerpoint. Those were great books as well. Wow. And then Timothy Zahn's The Hand of Thrawn, which was a... a Two books, 1997 and 1998, Spectre of the Past and Vision of the Future. I really recommend those as well. What? How did Timothy Zahn touch you? Like, what was it? What was it about him? If you can, if you can even put it in a word, sure. That that differentiated his works from others' works, and and kind of drew you back into Star Wars again before we even knew the special editions were coming out. Nonetheless, the new movies. Remember that the new yeah. movies were incubating for a while, and they started working on them, I think, in like 1994. But this is even, this some of this stuff even, including the Thrawn trilogy, even predates that. Yeah. You know what? T- Timothy Zahn's content, I'm actually trying to go back and figure out, because I definitely read, I didn't read the later two Timothy Zahn books, Thrawn books, but I did read the original trilogy. And I'm wondering, though, if I read those after Shadow's, and some of the other books, because I don't know if I read them that early in the 90s. But his, con- well, first of all, the thing about Timothy Zahn, and let's take the original Thrawn trilogy, for instance, especially when those books came out. We People, Star Wars fans, Star Wars leaves such a, you know, as many of us know, Star Wars leaves such an impression on us. It's not like when Star Wars ended and Return of the Jedi ended and the product's filtered out and even the things the content that came later like the Ewoks and droids cartoons and stuff like that when that stuff kind of phased out it's not like we were just we forgot about Star Wars it was such a it became such an integral part of who we were especially especially us of the of the nerd variety right it didn't go away so when those that original Thrawn trilogy for instance using that as, as an example when that original Thrawn trilogy came out we were starving for content and not only did we get new content and new fiction based in the Star Wars universe, but it felt Timothy Zahn's just his whole his whole thing with being in lockstep with the tone and just his writing. Now he's he's first of all Timothy Zahn's a great writer. Period. It doesn't matter that he's a he, I know he's a science fiction fantasy writer, and he he was celebrated and was winning awards. 10 years before the Thrawn Yeah, I think he won some out. Hugo Award. He won a, at least one Hugo Award yeah. for a work, one of his works. Which is a very big deal. He's a wonderful writer in general. I think that's the first thing that needs to be said about him. His language and his prose, he's he's not too worried. He's, a, he's, really, he's really a great writer. You could be a sci-fi writer, be hired to write a Star Wars story, do your research, try to be a professional about it, get sort of immerse yourself in the world and everything like that, and then just do it. And there's no way that Timothy, you that would be one end of how you could handle a project like that. And there, I'm sure there's many writers, and I can think of a few right now, even off the top of my head, that have come through and done that. Timothy Zahn was a Star Wars fan. He knew this world inherently inside and out before he wrote any books. There's no way that that could not be the case, you know, unless he's just a magician. You know, he his stuff felt so connected and so right for everything from the settings the new characters he created, the dialogue there, the, the characters' exchanges, the world that, you know, his his description of things, his description of settings, his description of stuff, his description of places. His, his stuff was really striking, and it, it was 
before the internet and before nerd circles and before we could really communicate with each other about this stuff, it was already a well-known thing. You know, you knew that this guy, when you looked at the binding of the book and you saw that it was a Star Wars book, you wanted to see his name down there. Because then we got excited because this was going to be good. I don't, I can't think of a Star Wars thing, and I know he's had some short story entries, like I said, in the Tales books, and he's done plenty of novels, and he's still doing stuff today. I don't think he's done, I don't, I haven't heard that he's done anything bad. And especially, you know, I'm talking about an association with Star Wars. So that was always the treat with Zahn. Of course, we were really spoiled, though, because a lot of stuff would not tonally fall into step. And some stuff did seem wrong. And some stuff did seem like, eh, like, meh, that doesn't seem too, that doesn't seem right. Right. That doesn't feel right. You're right, because it's hard for me to, I haven't read a Star Wars book since I was in high school. So I graduated high school in 2002, and it was, pro- I was probably more in like 10th grade when I read my mm-hmm. last one. So that was, I, because at that point I was moving, I was I was really into fantasy too, which is something a lot of people don't know. I was really into like high fantasy stuff, but like the really nerdy, really nerdy shit. Yeah, like what? Right? Like what were you reading back well, then? Well, obviously Tolkien is the quintessential sure. stuff that dad introduced both of us to actually, that I really, that, you know, we, you and I were both heavily immersed in that stuff. But the tradition for me actually began in reading Brian Jacques' Redwall stuff and Matameo and Salamanderstrom and Mario of Redwall and all of those kinds of books that that grew me into someone that would ultimately go and read like the what was that guy's name Good Kind or whatever the the the, the he, he wrote like those really massive like fantasy books that I would get from that fantasy that fantasy book club oh, that okay. I was in okay and it kind of and, and and a lot of that is an association also with. Like, I'm looking at Dragonlance. Like, I remember reading that Dragonlance, the red one, the Chronicles volume yeah, Dragons one. Dragons of Autumn, Twilight or whatever. Right, exactly. Like, that me. was yours. I remember I remember that. I remember that being fascinated by that book set you have. I'm looking at it. People can't obviously see it because we are on a podcast. But <laughs> it's a very well-worn, the bindings all screwed up of these paperbacks that were in this box set. And, and the, the colors drew me in because they were each a different color. And you can tell that they were, you know, associated with one another. And just the idea, like, I can draw a legacy from my love of Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy back when we were young to my my ex, my expanded love with Redwall and Tolkien and all of those kinds of things and swords and magic and all that kind of stuff. So sure. sci-fi to me actually was relegated to my adult years with the exception of Star Wars. Like Star Wars was kind of like this exception to the rule. I wasn't seeking out Isaac Asimov when I was in ninth grade. That wasn't, that wasn't anything that was happening. And then right. by the time I got off of reading fantasy and reading Star Wars books, that's when I really got in. That's when I was an AP English and AP lit and all that kind of stuff. And I was really getting into not contemporary necessarily, but you know, everything from Kerouac to, you know, catch 22 to, you know, HG Wells, which is actually is sci-fi, but you understand what I'm saying. Where Absolutely. I wasn't really, I wasn't really in these nerdy sci-fi circles with the exception of this license. It was very important to me. It was very important to me. And I think because of that, I was unable to discern what was truly great and what wasn't. I don't remember ever reading a Star Wars book and being like, ever finishing, not, not finishing it or thinking like, oh, that was weak or whatever. I just, I absorbed and digested everything I can get my hands on, which is why I was so surprised, as I said earlier in the podcast, that there were these, there are dozens of books where I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Yeah. Like, I, I'd never heard of this. Now, I knew that there was like young adult stuff that I stayed away from. These books were written, that was the other thing about Zahn. Yeah. He was writing for adults. It, these weren't like YA, you know, novels for 12 year olds. And that was why I think maybe some of the stuff went over my head and I was feeling a little more sophisticated reading it or whatever the case might be because Star Wars fans were older. Like you said, there was a yearning since 83 
with Return of the Jedi for something new. And it was actually seven or eight years later that we actually got the first Zahn book. I have to ask you this question, though, as an older Star Wars fan. Yeah. When you guys were yearning for things, Return of the Jedi comes out in 83. I think it's re-released actually in 85. But other, otherwise, there's a there's a lull. It doesn't seem like Star Wars is going to continue. George Lucas is moving on to other things. The trilogy is self-encapsulated, so there doesn't need to be anything else. Were you guys yearning for stuff that was telling the story afterwards or were you yearning for stuff that was like so after the destruction of the second death star or were you yearning for stuff that was before you meet luke on tatooine with amperu and uncle Owen? yeah what were you what were you looking for or were you looking for the interstitials because the interstitials are actually the things that are most interesting ultimately yeah or like you know offshoot type things right no i don't think we i don't think going back before new hope was ever a th- i mean i could say for me and the people closest to me my closest friends we never even thought of anything before new hope we wanted to see what happened after return of the jedi you know, that was always the thing. Like, it was so sad that that was maybe the, one of the first real sad things that happened to us as kids as far as pop culture and media went. It was like, this is, we have these three movies that we adore, and I was nine or ten years old, and that was going to be the end of it. And you just had to deal with it, you know. It always seemed so wrong. It's like, no, keep going. These are amazing. Why would you stop? It was our first experience with that. But we definitely, I could tell you, we, we definitely yearned to see what would happen after Jedi. You know, even though Jedi does, Jedi in many ways does seem like a closed book. It seems like, it almost seems like mission accomplished, you know, but we still wanted, you know, how can we, how can we continue this? There has to be some kind of thread we could continue through that doesn't just end, you know. And then, like you said, I think the offshoot thing maybe occurred to us as we got a little older, or maybe even as far as, maybe that, that seed was planted after the first you know, quote unquote, EU stuff started to come out the first couple of books. And then we're like, oh, yeah, you could actually go in this direction. You could veer off in this direction. You could follow this character. So it's a great question. But I think, you know, initially we definitely, as kids, as young kids, we definitely wanted to see what happened after Jedi. There was nothing else. There was no other, you know, no other thoughts about it at that point. It's funny because I, I agree with you. And the, and the conflict there is that because of the numbering of the original trilogy of four, five, and six, it, indicated and it, it starting with episode four indicated right away that there was a story before this that sure. was relevant probably about the clone wars we were hearing this kind of terminology we have we're introduced to obi-wan in the last days of his life really so we're really introduced to obi-wan kenobi in like the last week of his life when you really think about it when you reduce it to its essence wow, so they were yeah. telegraphing things in 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 some ways that like there's actually a pretty rich and deep story behind us but i agree with you i was interested in how the empire would continue because and that's what timothy's on touched on the empire didn't go away Grand Admiral Thrawn is kind of what fills the the vacuum. He's an amazing character. It's super disappointing that they didn't integrate him as the main antagonist in the new movies. I think that was a stupid cop-out, and it would have been way cooler to do that. But not that I'm hating necessarily on the new movies. I don't think the new movies are terrible. Great character. Yeah, he's just a great character. I, I'm not... I think the prequels are awful. I, I actually think the new movies are totally... are actually serviceable to great, depending on which one you're talking about. So I'm not trying to be a hater there at all. No, I mean, I'm sure. trying to keep the tone a little more positive. I don't want to be this to be a negative podcast. I think it's... It's soul sucking. No, but you got you got to still speak from the heart on it. You know, this is something that was important to us, and you have a right to, you know, you were an avid fan for many years and still are, so you have the right to talk about it as you as you want, my friend. Thank you. But I think the expanded universe to me was intriguing in other ways. There were video games that told the story. Dark Forces was a great game. You had obviously X Wing versus Tie Fighter. These were not necessarily only games, especially PC centric games, because we had like Super Star Wars, Super Empire, Super Jedi that were basically tellings of the the stories we knew. And the the stories that we were getting in these games were not always necessarily new stories. 
sometimes they were interstitial stories. Sometimes they were showing things like at the beginning of Shadows of the Empire and then 64, you're seeing the Battle of Hoth. You're just seeing it from Dash Rendar's perspective. So there's things that you're seeing from different perspectives and you're just getting kind of the same story. But there was a lot of stuff that was lost too. that because when we think about the expanded universe, we think we're only talking about books, but I don't really think we are. And one thing, well, two of the things that I wanted to ask you about that I wrote down here because I have very little perspective on these that I think you'll have a little bit more perspective on is the 1978 Star Wars Christmas special okay. and the 1985 Star Wars droids cartoon. Okay. These yeah. are both expanded universe. The latter, obviously, much more important. The former kind of a throwaway marketing opportunity. Do you have any memories or feelings about those? Because I know specifically like this, the Christmas special is not really canon. It does. It is a little weird. In oh, that. it's very weird. But these are technically EU products. And I wanted to touch on them because I think people expect us only to talk about the books, but these are just as much EU, old EU legends now again as, you know, a Timothy Zahn novel, for instance. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. Do, you have, do you have any memories or thoughts on those? And I think people really forget about those cartoons, the, the droids cartoon and the Ewoks cartoon. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Did I ever tell you about the Star Wars Christmas special? I never, I've only ever seen that once. I've never seen that again. I saw it when I was a kid. And it's such a big thing in pop culture and YouTube and people reminiscing about how horrible it was and stuff like that. I've definitely seen images of it and stuff like that. But I have never sat down and watched that again. It's an hour long, right? The the Christmas special, I think, is an hour long. Yeah, it's an hour long. And it was released closer to A New Hope than Empire. Okay, but after New Hope, obviously. Yes, 1978. I remember it being... I, I could tell you what my memories of it, and I hope it's not boring, but... It was an event in the house. Like we were, we were, we were ready for it. We knew it was coming on. Mom and Dad must have been privy to it that it was a thing. I was already a big Star Wars fan, and I was really young. But and I guess it's before Allie might have been. Allie might have been an infant. I don't think Allie was even born yet. Oh, Allie wasn't even born mom yet. Mom was it, probably. It was Christmas '78, so Mom was very. Pregnant. Oh, it was '78. Yeah, so Mom was very pregnant. Okay, Allie so was Allie born was February '79. '79. So Mom was pregnant. So it was me. It was only me and Dana, and I do remember it was like an event. Like crowd around the TV and watch this thing. And I remember it being really weird. Like I remember it being like, what? What's going on? They're sitting in the living room. Like, why are the Star Wars characters sitting in like a like a house? <laughs> like it, it struck me as really odd. And like the Wookie, the whole thing with the Wookies. Yeah, the Wookie. You like meet their, his parents or something, right? Or isn't there something with or, Chewie's family? Yeah, exactly. Whatever it was, and the weird, the Boba Fett thing was exciting, but it was like a weird cartoon where he's wrangling this dinosaur, this giant dinosaur. It was ve- and. And then there was like actresses that I, you know, like B. Arthur, like I recognized her from TV. Yeah, she at the time she was on Maud. She was Maud. Yeah, and Maud was on the TV a lot, especially at Grandma's house. So it was a very the whole thing was a very strange, you know, almost very surreal and trippy experience. And I don't think I really, I don't think I walked away from it being like, now nah, I'm really excited for stuff. You know, I thought it was just like a weird thing that they did. It almost seemed like, because that was the, you have to remember too, that was the era of like solid gold. That, I don't know if anyone remembers that show. It was the, like, the, the, the disco era. It was like, a, yeah, it was like a, it was like, it felt like a dis, some kind of disco variety show, like solid gold or soul train or something. It was, felt really strange. Like why you making, like making Star Wars into this thing that adults watch at night. You're making it into like, you know, it just felt weird. You know, it almost, I almost like if I close my eyes and envision, you almost see like the marquee lights, 
spinning around like the Star Wars. I don't know if that was even a thing, but right. like the, it's like it's like the it's like the two worlds colliding that shouldn't have been colliding. And then like I even realized that inherently as a five year old, you know. So was I even five? It was four, whatever it was. So very strange. And it, it, the funny thing is, I've never gone back and so I'm just not interested in watching it again because I know how weird it is. Maybe it would be nostalgic. But yeah, that's that's my those are my memories of the Star Wars Christmas special, and it's such a it is such a weird thing for me because almost everything I'm nostalgic about or remember, I want to go back and watch again, and I have, whether it be a cartoon or a movie or a commercial or some kind of interstitial or really deep cuts as well. But for some reason, that just never register with me. And you know, I had friends in college too and in high school that had it on VHS. Like it was definitely a it was the first thing that people. It was one of the, those early things that people would clown about and remember and, you know, sort of hate on, you know, harshly remember. But, and then do you want me to jump right back, right into the droids? Yeah, jump into the droids. Droids ran episodically from 85 to 86. I don't think I ever saw it, but I, I'd, be, I'd be curious about your opinion on that. Really? That was another thing that was, that was filling in a gap because there was no really other Star Wars content. And they had, we had the droids cartoon and the Ewoks cartoon. But what felt really weird about the droids cartoon was, with the exception of a few characters, I, I believe Boba Fett's in one episode of it. It was three, it was, the whole thing was, it was centered around 3PO and R2. And their adventures on, under a whole nother, under, I, I wish I did more research on this particular thing because it is an important part of the eu under a, a new master that they have so in no way it's like where's what happened to luke what happened to everybody now you're with this guy it felt and you know my other if i one other inherent memory of it was it was uh, obviously of that era it was drawn traditionally and it felt really like soft because of the way it was drawn and it was pretty low budget and everything and it was pretty cartoony it felt like almost like plush versions of C-3PO and R2-D2. I remember even thinking that as a kid, like, why do they look so squishy? Like, they look a little weird. That looks a little odd to me, you know? It doesn't, it's not looking that great. And, but you know what's funny about that cartoon series and the Ewoks cartoon series? I think it was a really big marketing ploy to for the toy, for Kenner at that time to continue with Star making Star Wars toys. And they did weird tie-ins with it. Like I remember they made an A-Wing fighter that they released as a droid's toy, even though that wasn't really a droid's thing. You know, Kenner must have had the A-Wing and prototype, whatever, and saw that as an excuse. I don't know the exact story. Somebody out there may know. But may, you know, they saw that as a as a thing where they were gonna say, okay, let's just throw this in with this. Let's get this out. We already made this thing. Let's get it out with the droids or the Ewoks toys, you know. And you know what's funny about droids and Ewoks? Those toys are worth a lot of money, a lot because I guess they were limited run, right? And show, people, and, and, and people were kind of over it at that point. Yeah, or I a think lot of people pe were. Yeah, and I think the Star Wars fans that you know you have to understand a Star Wars fan in my generation, 1985. Now I'm 12 years old. That's not the continuation of Star Wars that I wanted to see. It's getting younger. That's weird. You know, like, it felt like Star Wars is... We're getting older and more mature. The Star Wars is getting younger. That seems backwards. Now, of course, maybe they were marketing to a younger generation. That would have seemed strategically smart. But for us, for my generation, for the Gen Xers, it, was not, it wasn't going to hit. You know, we wanted the next movie. We wanted the next big kid thing. We didn't want this cartoon that looked like a preschool. It wasn't a preschool. It wasn't quite preschool, but it looked like a preschool version of Star Wars, you know? Um, I really, I'm so curious what the master's name was. 
We'll look that up. I'm going to look it up. I want to, because we're, we are beating around the bush because we have to talk about Shadows of the Empire. And yes. That. Yes. The, the, the one thing that I want to shout out real quick before we get into that, if I might, is the Star Wars role-playing game. Sure. The Star Wars role-playing game originally came out in 1987. I started playing the second edition, which was released in 1992 with my friend Eric. My friend Eric came up in the Indiana Jones conversation as well that we had because he was really instrumental in getting me involved in Indiana Jones and, and Indiana Jones fandom. But he was also really instrumental in, in, in heightening, as I said, my Star Wars fandom. He was the one that he owned, had Star Wars toys before me. And I did I returned the favor with, with him earlier, actually. So maybe maybe he was returning the favor, actually, because I got him in the G.I. Joe and all that. And we were, we were good friends, so we used to play the Star Wars role-playing game all the time, and what was so exciting about that to me was that it introduced you to a lot of the minutiae and the random... Because to, be to be able to ground a game like that, if you think about Dungeons, Dungeons & Dragons, another game Eric and I played when we were kids and were really into, I was playing second edition of that too. I think they're on like fifth or sixth edition now with D&D. I, I wouldn't even recognize it. I think they got rid of things like Thacko and all that. I, I, don't, I wouldn't even understand it anymore, but it actually is probably much simpler to play. But there was this, there was this, there were these books that you can pour through of the nerdiest shit and you can be like anything you wanted. And there was, a, there was rules for everything. Like you can be the, you can be a TIE fighter mechanic. You can be a bartender at a cantina. You can, yeah, and, and there was abilities and weapons. This was when I was introduced to all these things that became, I think, more common in Star Wars, like vibroblades and and the different types of blasters and naming the different types of blasters, the different types of ships. It, when you look at a movie, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about six, seven hours worth of content in the three Star Wars movies, and that's it. But when you ground it in such a way where it's like, to do this, you need fuel, you need currency, you need to be able to communicate. You know, we, we had C-3PO was kind of the excuse in the movies, like the protocol droid that could speak all the languages so you can kind of bridge those gaps with R2 and with Chewie and all of them, whoever didn't speak English, Nee Num and all these characters that, that weren't speaking common or whatever. And what I loved about it is it, it really burrowed into my brain this notion that the Star Wars galaxy was so much bigger, so much grander, so much worth, so much more worth exploring, and actually turned me on to some books that I do recommend to people today. Although, again, I don't know how accurate they are anymore, considering all the kind of changes in Star Wars, and especially because all of these are even pre-prequel books. But I was really into one of Eric's books that came out in 1995 called The Essential Guide to Characters. It was this, it was like an, it, it was a bigger, it wasn't a novel. It was all illustrated, a lot, it was huge, lots of words, probably a few, a couple hundred pages. And it was information about characters okay. th from, the, from, from Reese and, and Snaggletooth and all these characters that, you know, ha you know, to you know the the ranker keeper and and the dancers and Snoopy you know or Droopy McCool and all of these characters right on up to Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and stuff and you can read about them in it and I would pour over it and obsess over it and and it opened me up to these other books uh, in 1997 they released the Essential Guide to Weapons and Technology which was information on the the guns and the the, the clothing and the armor and all that kind of stuff and then in 1998 you had the Essential Guide to Planets and Moons which showed you the locations and kind of fleshed all that kind of stuff out and then the guide the droids was 1999 and that was the last one I had but there was even more than that and what so what I loved about the Star Wars RPG was it 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 just played with my imagination in such a way that made that probably helped encourage my collecting of this my, my hardcore collecting of the Star Wars toys and we'll do an entire episode in the future on Star Wars toys 
because you had most of the old ones and I had all, pretty much all the new ones. Yeah, that would be so fun. we have a lot to talk about. That would be really fun. Yeah, but it it was it made it you know there were other movies I loved like I loved what, what's a great example like I loved Labyrinth. You really and, did, and but Labyrinth was contained in Labyrinth. There was no real intrigue on my part to know more about any of the characters than what we were shown, to know more about the locations, to know more about whatever. You were satisfied with just the film. And I think that I was probably satisfied with just the Star Wars films as much as I loved them until I played that role-playing game. And I, I don't know that they do it anymore. It, it, it correl- it, you know, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a correlation and a tether, an important connection to the Star Wars customizable card game as well, which I played when I was in middle school, when I was in private school in New Hampshire. I played that as well, and that's another kind of EU element. Okay. But really, I, I, I was more into reading the RPG books and the, and the supplemental books about everything than I was into playing the game itself. And so there's not many universes like that. Like, and there are not many universes where I can even imagine being that interested in it. Like, maybe Mega Man, but there's clearly not that much depth to it. Or Castlevania, where there's a little more depth. Right. But there's no real product out there where I'm like, I need to know everything. And that's why I think I was so crestfallen and so disappointed when they just ripped it all away from us. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And, but we're beating around the bush. Okay. Because we really should talk about Shadows of the Empire. (laughs) Okay. Shadows of the Empire is a seminal work. It came out in 1996. 1996. <laughs> I, I was, I'm so turned on by it that I'm thinking of sex. Absolutely. It's by Steve Perry, not the singer of Journey. Oh, the author. Gonna, oh it's not? No. Oh. Uh, I thought maybe when he slowed down, his music career slowed down. He oh, moved in. No. <laughs> it, he, was, he was still seen at San Francisco Giants games sometimes to this day. And there was a great sh- shot of him a couple years ago, like running through the crowd, like the, the, the camera was following him, like the Drumbotron camera. And, and it was like, don't stop believing was on. And he was like singing it with the audience. It was really, really? Cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. Yeah. It was like really like, cause he was, he was supposed to be a pretty big douchebag. So it was cool to see. Wow. Yeah. Like he, you know, he left journey and then just made journey music. I thought he left for this. No, this he didn't is, leave the right. I thought anymore. this was the Steve Perry. No, it's a different Steve Perry. Oh, unfortunately. Now I'm like half heartbroken. So this book I didn't realize at the time, and I realized later when you read about it, was a deliberate attempt by Lucas and Lucasfilm to, mono- to 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 drum up interest in what would become the special editions the year later. In 1997 is when the special editions of A New Hope, Empire, and Jedi came out. And, you know, I have mixed feelings on them, and I know you do too. Yes. And most people actually hate them, but I don't think they're all bad. I think that, like, Empire, for instance, is pretty, pretty, pretty acceptable. Yeah, it's, like, fine. Jedi is probably, you know, you don't like the the Boba Fett thing with the dancer and Jedi. I love that. But this was like kind of a thing to like, we're going to make a video game. We're going to make a book. We're going to have toys. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to have comic books that I think Dark Horse did. We're going to do all these kinds of things. And it was a little too deliberate in hindsight, but it was the best. And I, I actually, what I remember about this book is that I was in seventh grade, it came out, and I was supposed to do a book report on anything I wanted. And I was like dragging my feet on it. I wasn't doing it. And mom was getting mad at me. And we went and bought Shadows of the Empire, the hardcover, I think two days before the report was due. And I read the entire thing and wrote, you know, whatever crude bullshit I had to write on it. And I was just so enamored with it. And for people that don't know, it's about 
It's about a few things. It takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. This was a story that was never told before. And it answers some fundamental questions about what happens in that time. Because we don't we have these unanswered questions that are important. And it answers some of those important questions. So it answers how did Leia become Bausch, the bounty hunter? Like how did she get into Jabba's palace? And and it tells the story about how she pursues Boba Fett and and kind of assumes this role of an existing bounty hunter to not kind of set off any alarms with anyone. So it tells that story. It tells the story about how Luke makes his lightsaber. So Luke is revealed, you know, he, he in the beginning of Jedi, amazing scene. You know, he, he he's tricking Bib Fortuna at the entrance to Jabba's palace. He's he's kind of oh, you know, it's my favorite scene. And he's wearing the black robe. He's suddenly incredibly confident. Remember, we we leave Luke handless and almost killed, and probably would have been killed in Bespin in Cloud City in, in Empire, getting the shit beat out of him by Darth Vader with one hand. And we f- suddenly find him this confident Jedi Knight. You know, he's had this come to Jesus moment at some, you know, Jesus doesn't exist in that galaxy, I guess, but where he has a green lightsaber indicating that he's no longer a Padawan learner. Right. Force choking fools in their own house. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome so stuff. It, so answers, it answers that question. And then it introduces a couple of characters that add a little bit of intrigue to it. So Dash Rendar is introduced to it. Dash Rendar is actually not a very important character. He's a cool character. Yeah. He's a smuggler. He's an associate of Han Solo's and he kind of is the replica for Han Solo because Han Solo at this point isn't a factor because he's in carbonite being transported so he can't possibly be a character. It's not like they they figured that out somehow and then he <laughs> went back in the carbonite. And the other character that they introduce is Prince Shizor. X-I-Z-O-R in case you guys want to look him up. Yeah. He's like a criminal mastermind and he's obsessed with killing Darth Vader and taking Vader's place with Empire with the in the Empire with Emperor Palpatine like basically being like his his right-hand man and he fights with these weird almost fan-like like if you think about Japanese fans that like Geisha would use or whatever. Right. He fights with like these weird weapons. I forgot like, about that. You're right. And it was accompanied by an N64 exclusive, a Nintendo 64 exclusive game that came out in 1997 that I loved. I had it was great one of the, game. it was one of the N64 games that I had. And it was it, it captured my imagination in a way that I wish everything else did. That really only only Timothy Zahn was able to kind of rival. And what's so funny about that is that he didn't write that. I know. I think a lot of people remember Timothy Zahn writing this, but they're remembering falsely. So what 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 do you remember about this book? Well, first of all, it's so striking that uh, Steve Perry could find another talent because he was, had such great musical abilities, and just his writing <laughs> prowess. <laughs> you were right. You were you're correct. We can make we can make journey jokes on this show and not be dated because this show really is for either nostalgia hounds or older people and stuff yeah. like that. So, where do you for- stand on journey? Just real quick, not to get off track, but where do you stand on journey? You like journey? Love journey. Really? Saw journey live. Oh, I didn't. With know the that. new singer though, it was in. I saw I saw them in two thousand eight in Mountain View, California, oh, where Google I don't is. Remember this? Two opening bands. Yeah. Cheap trick. And nice. Heart. Very nice. It was a, wow. It was, it was. I've been. I go. I. I see live music a lot. I love live music. Yeah. One of the top ten shows I've ever seen. For wow, sure. Wow. That's fantastic. It was awesome. They were now, great. how about the other members of the band? They were OG. Yeah. Everyone was original except for you know they have that Filipino guy that they. You know the whole story about that? I don't. So <laughs> this is now a journey podcast. That's all right. That's all right. It's fun. Steve Perry left the band and they kind of you know he that's when he did like Oh Sherry and all that kind of independent stuff. Those are good songs, but it, it was annoying because they were just writing. He was just writing journey songs. But the other guys were are extremely talented musicians, and they, in the '90s, I think the late '90s, early 2000s, they they got wind. It's actually early. It was actually the 2000s, early 2000s, because I think they found it on like a video on YouTube. 
they got wind of this guy in the Philippines who sounded just like Steve Perry that would go to karaoke bars in like Manila. Come on. And this is a would, real thing. Yeah, it's a real story. And would belt this shit out. What? And it was like an amazing rendition of what Steve Perry sounded like. Yeah. So they went and got him. Come on. And they're like, you want to join Journey? And he's like, yeah. And then and then, and, and this guy joined Journey. And they actually still make records today. So Journey became a cover band of themselves. Basically. Basically. That's got to be a what? That's got to be the only time it's ever happened in, in life. He's like 25 or 30 years younger than them. That's amazing. And and he's just like this like very skinny Filipino guy with long, straight hair. And think of his dreams came so... Uh, that guy must have been like, what? <laughs> What you know, like four leaf clover did I find? I know it's a, it's an amazing it's an amazing story and and when I saw them what I remember about it so well is that they opened with open or not open arms they opened with who's crying now or something kind of slower but then they played a bunch of their newer stuff yeah. and then he's like they were he was like thank you for being patient now let's like really get into it and then they they like. Oh my! Really God. went went. I'm so went glad we took this because that that is the best story ever. I love Journey. Yeah, so does my wife Helene. She really. I, I, let me tell you, my approval rating for Journey was eight percent. With the ending of Sopranos, it went up to about seventeen percent. Okay, so yeah, that's my Journey story. Okay, and so Steve Perry leaves Journey and writes Shadows, Shadows of the, of the Empire. Empire. So go on. So you know what's funny about Shadows of the Empire? I, I'm really trying to. I'm really racking my brain trying to remember. When I read the or the initial Thrawn trilogy, and I think I did read Shadows of the Empire first. I must have read the Thrawn trilogy later, unless I'm remembering wrong. Because Shadows of the Empire resonates with me. First of all, Shadows of the Empire is cheating a little bit because it's it's falling in between the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which is the perfect place to set a story because there's a lot that happens off screen between, as you've already said as you've already alluded to there's a lot that happens between those two movies off screen a lot of big things that take place and you already know they're they're putting this plan together to go rescue han and all the things that take place this is the perfect movie to set a book in between it's like pretty hard to to mess this up but it's so the thing about shadows is it's so very much we already talked about this a little bit it's very much in step with the tone of the Star Wars movies. It just nails it. Shadows really nails it. It's the first time for me, for me, it's the first time that I saw the scope of the Star Wars universe opened up and it made us mindful of the sheer size of the universe and that there's like players and events that are happening outside the edges, the borders of the the movie screen. And it, opened up the world and made it seem opened up the universe in general of Star Wars and made it feel more vast and and was really made you mindful and reminded you that there's there's people that maybe the cameras aren't always focusing on that are also involved in this this is a big this is not only is this a big world but this is a big fight and there's a lot of uh, unsung heroes quote unquote and I think it really succeeded in fleshing out a universe that we already loved in the right direction. And it really, in a way, remembering that makes me so sad because they really, so many things, even the new movies, which are, you know, I think are half good. But the, you know, of course, the prequel trilogy and everything. And again, like you were saying earlier, not to sound negative, but so many things just got it wrong. Why was it so easy to get it right back then? You know, it felt like a proper continuation of of the characters in the story and 
it was important to get it right because you're dealing with the main characters, all the main characters and what they're doing in order to prepare, you know, prepare for this caper, basically. And I really loved it. I thought it was really well written. I thought it was really, I thought even the, I, Prince, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Prince Shizor, which I didn't know how to pronounce that for years until years later. Prince Scissors or whatever I was calling him. Kizzers or whatever I was calling him. I think I called him Exizer or something Exizer, like whatever. You're making it like so much more, many more syllables than it's supposed to be. I think his character bothered me a little bit at first. I thought it was a little bit, I don't know. It might have been the fact that we, most of the villains that we've seen, with the exception of Vader, who we know was a man once, all the villains that we see, in other words, the Empire, are really humanoid they're just like evil old men. And then all of a sudden you're seeing like this evil... Well, he's he's the head of a crime syndicate, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. Prince Shiz- Shizor. Yeah, similar to, similar to Jabba in some, in some respect. Right, similar to Jabba. But his, his arc is that he wants to take Vader's place at the Emperor's side. He wants to get rid of Vader and be... He wants to be Vader, basically. So I thought he was a great villain. And as you already said, Dash Rendar, g- really good character. He didn't bother me. And just seeing what everybody, all the main characters were doing in between. I thought it was such a great story. And I think, you know what's funny about it also, Kyle? I think I also thought about that at some point before the book came out. Like, I wonder what happened. It would be so cool to see what happens between the movies. I always felt like that. And I think Shadows coming out, and a lot of people will relate to this. I'm sure we all have the same thought. Shadows coming out made me say, oh, what happened between Star Wars and Empire? Because that was a two-year period or something. If I'm not mistaken, right, and that, and what we re- didn't realize at the time, although it doesn't really tell, an, uh, I don't think that compelling of a story, is that that book, that that 1970, what was it, 1978 oh, book, right. Splinter, Splinter of the, of the Mind's, Mind's Eye, Eye, is a story that takes. It's a story that takes place in between A New Hope and the Empire. It, it strikes back. It's not what happened. It's not the glue connecting those two stories. Because what we re- what we would really be curious about is like how do they get to Hoth, and a little bit more fleshing out about the Empire, how the Empire recovered, how do they recover Vader. Um, and his TIE fighter when he kind of spins out of control and stuff like that. That's There's a more literal... Shadows of the Empire is a more literal, literal interpretation of bridging the gap as opposed to Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is basically just a story that takes place in that time. Sure. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And Shadows is one of those things, too. It's like one of those glue pieces of content where you're gluing an existing thing to an existing thing. So getting it wrong could really feel... Getting it, it's. It, I guess it's easy to get wrong because you're kind of you got something behind you and something in front of you, and you're trying to match those things. So, but very much Timothy Zahn-ish. I think I even had to remind myself the first ten years after it came out. Very Timothy Zahn in its nature of feeling, just feeling correct. You know, feeling like you know, wow, this guy could be this this guy could be show running all of the Star Wars content or one of those new guys at Lucas. Where that you know one of these shepherds, you know, of the brand and for for Disney and all those you know I think to, I I don't know too much about Timothy Zahn as far as outside of being a writer I don't know what his personality is like I don't know what his leadership abilities are like I don't even know what he looks like I know what he looks like do you but he uh, he's very handsome is he I don't know oh no, yeah I I, I don't really. I, I picture him honestly as like this guy can't have everything no you, yeah if he was handsome Fuck too you, that would yeah Zahn. come on you can't be <laughs> handsome too um you know I but he you, you you envision this guy as somebody that could you know run the show you know well this this draws me into a question we got from Brian Lindquist okay 
who says, hey, guys, thanks for the wonderful podcast. Thank you so much for listening to it, Brent. We appreciate you. Thank you. My question is related to the Star Wars Expanded Universe topic. Brent says, if you could pick one story to recanonize now that Lucasfilm has strapped, slapped the Legends label on all EU content we grew up enjoying, which story would it be? And he says, I personally love all the Shadows of the Empire stuff, and I'd love to see it re-released and put back into the canon. Also, sneaking, sneaking in a follow-up here, does the Legends label affect your enjoyment of the EU? It doesn't bother me much as I enjoy all of these stories just the same, but it does seem like an odd move to apply the label to everything. Thanks for recording these. The topics look great. Thank you so much, Brent, for your question. I'm going to take that second question in a little while, that second half, because that's how I kind of want to wrap things up. Okay. But I think we would both agree that if, if one of the things that was decanonized and made into a so-called legend was brought back, it's got to be Shadows of the Empire. And that's... I'm surprised that they even didn't include that because I think they included what um, uh, Clone Wars when they, when they when they were saying like yeah. everything other than the six movies except for Clone Wars I think was the thing. I'm surprised they didn't say oh and Shadows of the Empire as well. That was a little that was a little weird to me. What about you? Do you agree that that would be, probably be the thing? It would scare me for them to do anything with Shadows of the Empire. I think we need to have some content that we remember fondly pre pre Disney content that we remember fondly preserved because what would happen if, if they, I would fear that if they made that Canon and took it out of legends, that they would do one of the anthology movies out of it. And I don't want to see that done. They're not going to do it right. No. And they, and they, I mean, they're not because then they would do something insane, like digitize Leia, digitize. Han, yeah. Digitize right. Luke. Like there's just too many characters in it. I and, don't think that would be a good idea. And obviously, you know, the only, you know, Chewbacca and 3PO and R2 don't matter, but in terms of like, because anyone can play them, but you know, unfortunately Carrie Fisher has passed away, so she's not even an option, even if they were able to somehow do it. And, you know, obviously Harrison Ford's not interested in being involved anymore either. So exactly. Yeah. They would somehow screw it up. So that's a good point. That's a double-edged sword, right? That's like an, a be careful what you wish for kind of situation. Sure. Before we move on to kind of close this out, Dagan, okay. I want to throw two other things at you because I think you can speak to these. I can't speak to these at all. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong if you can't, but I think you can. Okay. Jose says, hope you guys talk about Star Wars Rebels on Disney. Okay. They just finished their series finale. They went out being on top because they wanted an ending to the series. I never watched one millisecond of that. Okay. Did you watch Rebels? And if so, do you have anything to say about it? I watched Rebels. I watched it all the way to the end. I will admit... You know, and don't don't string me up for this, but I will admit that at certain points along the way, and I did the same thing with the sec with the CG 3D 2008 Clone Wars. I filled in certain story arcs or certain episodes, maybe a couple at a time, by watching the highlights, as it were, on YouTube. I was a big. I will go back a little bit. I don't want to stay on it too long, but I will go back and say that the 2003 slash 2004 Yendi Tartakovsky Clone Wars series um, from that was originally on Cartoon Network. I don't know if you ever saw these, Kyle. They were traditionally animated, very much in the spirit of Yendi's Samurai Jack. Very aesthetically, very similar to that. You remember Samurai Jack, of course. The the I was a big fan of that Clone Wars series, and some of them were shorts, and some of them were like fifteen minute episodes. There weren't very many, but these are the ones that introduced General Grievous and stuff like that. I thought those were really, really well done. And they won, I think both seasons won Emmy Awards for Outstanding Animated Content. And I was a little disappointed initially when they made the CG Clone Wars. Um, I knew they wanted to kind of grow off the success of the of Gendy's little thing and make it into something bigger. And, they, and it would be cheaper and easier to do it that way. Cheaper and easier to do. And it's not the CG that I'm against, but... 
And Luke, you know, George Lucas had a lot to do with it as well. He wanted this thing done. And Dave Filoni was brought on board to sort of helm this thing, write it and, and, and produce it. And I like Dave Filoni, but as it, and it might be my animation bias and sort of the visual biases that I have. The animation, it's very strange because the animation and the visual, the design of the show is very, very, I said it before, and I've had many conversations about this with people, and some agree with me and some don't. It's very serviceable. There's nothing super polished and super special about the way these CG Clone Wars cartoon, which was like 2008 through 2000. I'm talking about Clone Wars now, not Rebels. 2008 through 2014, I think. There was nothing special about the way these were presented. I know it was made for TV content. I know it's done on TV budgets, you know, albeit higher, higher, you know, budget stuff because who they're being done for. But that always struck me, and I have a lot to say about these, but from visually, that always struck me as odd. It seems like Star Wars content deserves a little more than that. And they also made, Disney also made a, um, I don't know how well it rated, I don't know if it's still on, but more recently they made a, a cartoon that centers around Rey's character from Force Awakens. And it's, it's 2D, very flat cut paper. I don't know if it's Toon Boom produced with Toon Boom or Flash, but it's very, very, the quality is not good. It's not good. And not, I'm not comparing necessarily the quality of Clone Wars to that, but it feels, it felt like it deserved more visually because the stories are pretty cool and the characters are pretty cool. And it, but it does, and it, you know, I think they did a good job of taking the existing characters in the existing world. It's set in between Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So they're taking important I was, very, I was very intrigued by that story. So I, I, Yeah, right. So automatically, it's like you almost have to like the prequels, which is a problem. For me, personally, and I'm not disparaging you if you like the prequels. This is a very polarizing argument. I know we could talk about hours about this, but Colin and I don't like those movies. And I could speak for you on that one. Yeah, yeah and you sure can. It's set between two of them, the two worst ones as, as far as I'm concerned. So you already have, but I think they you already have that kind of held that bias held against it but i think they did a pretty good job with the writing and incorporating new characters with old characters and um there was a couple of memorable characters in that i really liked and i want to talk about the character of ahsoka which i don't know how much you know about her is she the twi'lek she's the twi'lek who is anakin's she's anakin's apprentice she's she's the padawan and she becomes a really important character and i know People talk about her importance as far as being a really empowered female in the Star Wars universe, and that is, of course, really important part of that character. But I like her for exploring Anakin's arc because what's happening in, the, in between these two movies is Anakin's fall to the dark side, and that's what makes it interesting. And it's not that you could, you're left guessing because you kind of know what happens, which, again, is kind of a bias that you would hold against it. But they still do a good job of almost sometimes making you ask like oh is he is he going to re-? you know you know damn well it's not going to end well he's not going to redeem he's not going to be redeemed but you see his descent to the dark side and she's the force that's kind of pulling her him the other way and she's a great character and i think she kind of kept me in it for the run of the series but again i was also really really into gendy's clone wars and i prefer it 
I prefer it. There's a really hard, uh, particularly if you guys haven't seen it, there's a particularly horrifying episode at, of Grievous and a ship full of young, really young Jedi Padawans. It's, it's pretty scary. I think he's a very scary character, actually. He actually frightens me. Grievous is annoying. Really? He has like four lightsabers. It's yeah. Kind of, oh, the, it's corny as hell, dude. Like, he's he's corny. I'm sorry. I, 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 I like that you like him. I know a lot of people like him. But yeah. when I, I remember seeing that. He, he was in. He was the first time in Attack of the Clones, right? Or no, I guess he was in, uh, I guess he was in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. He... I saw that and immediately been like, "Are you fucking kidding?" It was it was literally the same thing I felt when I saw Yoda fighting with the lightsaber. I'm like, "No, no, no." How no. many lightsabers does this jackass yeah. need? Is that the quote? Yeah, four lightsabers. Yeah, four. Yeah. That's that's so like, there's something scary about him to me. I don't know. Yeah, I got suckered in. I guess. I mean, I, I got want to face in. off against them. Yeah, he's he's he suckered me in. Well, Josh Squires, I saw your question about about okay. Clone Wars. We've kind of already answered it, but I wanted to acknowledge that you asked a question about that. Yeah. The thing about. And I want I, this is a total ancillary thing. I don't want because I don't want this show to be political or make, have social commentary at all. Okay. But I do want to say that the this constant griping in Star Wars about empowered female characters is so fucking insane to me. Considering the center of power in all three trilogies is a female, so I don't understand. Padme, Leia, and Rey are the three centers of power in the trilogy, and they're all women. So can we really drop this whole like why are we focusing on this in Star Wars? Yeah. Of all of all of all properties. It's really weird. Yeah. Like I, I'm sorry. Like I, I think that's super strange that everyone's like, finally a, a like with Ray, like finally an empowered female. And I'm like, like Princess Leia? Right. Ahsoka. Like Padme? You know, like Ahsoka. Do you know about Count Dooku's apprentice in the Clone Wars? No. It's she's a really great character, especially in the Gendi version. Asajj Ventress, her name is, really cool character. Does she also have one of those crooked hilt lightsabers that I also? No, hate? that you're thinking of the. Uh, no, you're thinking. Count Doku has that. That. Oh, he? that's right. Yeah. He does. Yeah, yeah. It looks almost like the top of a cane. Well, see, it's in disguise. And Rebels, I liked. I liked Rebels too. I. I will say, I don't like the way Rebels ended. So, fair enough. Yeah. Now, Dagan, to wrap up, I wanted, and again, because I was kind of preempting this and kind of foreshadowing this for a while i have something to say about this okay 2012 disney buys lucasfilm and all the properties for four billion dollars a lot of money and obviously they're going to try to extract as much money from this as possible yep. so i don't blame them for doing that and lucas sold and and i think he i think he made the right choice for everyone even though i think he probably regrets it now because he certainly didn't need money and in 2014 two years later not even two years later they they announced that well the expanded universe as we know it, and I actually went back and read the original letter they released because I wanted to get the exact verbiage because I remember being so upset when I read it because they try to get themselves a way out where they're being like, George Lucas never intended for this to be canon. That was basically their whole thing. Like, George Lucas never intended this to be canon, which isn't true. What he was basically saying was that, like, this can all be broken later if I want to, but I, but he didn't break anything because no one was writing about anything beforehand So because he had that as a directive. I wrote down four four words that I think exemplify what they did to the expanded universe when they were like all of that's fake all of that's legends the lore right irresponsible lazy insulting and greedy those are the four words and i have no respect for it because what they could have done and what they should have done considering they have infinite resources and can hire anyone they want and can take their time and do this just so is what they should have done is said we're gonna take a look at everything that was written 
and every video game and every comic from Dark Horse and Imagine and whoever did all, or Image rather and anyone who did all this stuff. Yeah. We're going to deliberately go through every piece of content and we're going to tell you what's lore and what isn't. And instead of patronizing the shit out of you and republishing all of this stuff under the Legends moniker, which they're doing, you know, they reprinted Tales of the Bounty Hunter, Tales of the Bounty Hunter, for instance, under the Legends moniker. They republished Shadows of the Empire under the Legends moniker. Instead of doing all of that, what they should have done is said, like, we're going to be very, very deliberate with a, we're going to go in with a scalpel and we're going to figure out what matters and what doesn't. And we're going to fit our new stories around this stuff that you spent decades and hundreds and thousands of dollars absorbing and tons of your time, which you can't get back. When I read that, I was fucking furious. I really was. And I know that that's a crazy thing to say about about something so trivial, ultimately. It's not But trivial. I read that and I was like, are you serious? I, <laughs> I lost so much respect at that point for what they were doing. And because, again, irresponsible, lazy, insulting, and greedy. It's irresponsible because they took millions of fans... And they said, all of that time you invested, all of that energy you invested, all of the, the, the gray matter you used, storing this information, obsessing over it, nerding out over it, sharing it with your friends, we don't care about that. Yeah. Lazy because they literally could have taken their time. It could have taken years for all I know, but it probably wouldn't have because they have billions of dollars. They could have hired people, been like, go through all of this, every word of everything anyone's ever written. Let's figure this out. What conflicts? What makes sense and what doesn't? With the vision of what we have, we have moving forward. You know, is there a way we can take the beloved stuff, the, the Timothy Zahn stuff, the Steve Perry stuff, whatever the case might be, the Crispin stuff, all this kind of stuff? Yeah. Can we make it work with this, and then we can be we can be very deliberate and say this is what counts and this is not what counts. And they do this, by the way, at the same time that they take the prequels and say those did matter and those did, but they didn't matter. Those prequels are much more relevant to real Star Wars fans, most real Star Wars fans, than some of the big books, right? So it's lazy insulting for the same reason they just give a finger to everyone and say like oh you spent what i i mean i spent a, a few thousand dollars on this shit probably yeah you know i mean that's quite possible i you know i i i dumped in i mean countless months worth of time in my life probably reading yeah. the shit yeah and so it's insulting and then it's greedy because they're just basically saying like we're just cleaning the slate so we can just tell these stories again yeah do you think that's what it is yeah they, Could, they they did it. It was the, it was the path of least resistance. Yeah, and I don't have any respect for a company doing that because it's so shameless and it's so transparent that they couldn't just take a little bit of time and say like, even if it was literally a few things, even if it's like literally like, listen guys, we want to tell what happens after episode seven, so we have to kill a lot of this stuff. But here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna we're writing the script for episode seven. We're gonna take into consideration that Grand Admiral Thrawn's a real a meaningful character to you. So we're going to flesh him out. He's going to be the, he's going to be the antagonist and we're going to keep Mara Jade in there because we know you really care about her and we, and we want to keep the twins in there and, and make sure Han and Leia are married with kids or whatever. Maybe we'll tweak that story a little bit, but we want to take that with us as well. And Shadows of the Empire is totally irrelevant to what happens after the, after Return of the Jedi. So we're going to, and we know how much you love that. So we're going to keep that intact too, you know, but instead they're just like, oh no, it all doesn't exist anymore. What would be a word? Let's say you're envisioning a specific piece of old EU content that you love. What would be worse for you? Them trying to redo it or them just ignoring it forever? I think ignoring it would probably be better. 
right? Yeah, like I agree with you. I I I, I just can't fathom the, how that decision was reached. Yeah, I can fathom how they felt the need to to just get rid of some things. There's a lot, right? And it's and it's hard to keep straight. And I do respect the fact that they have like what do they call him, the keeper of the holocron or whatever. Yeah, that that they, they, he's a guy that like basically is just in charge of the war, making sure everything fits together. Sure. They but have- why why wouldn't you make everything fit together with what existed? And you have the fucking audacity to not to do that and then still print those books? Yeah. Are you out of your mind? You can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. If you're going to do that, at least snuff them out of existence. It, it's... I hear I totally hear dude, what you're from saying. every level, there's not one iota of me that respects that It's decision. a power move. It's an, That's ultimately what it, They want to own everything. They don't want it to exist unless they own it. And here's know? the other... It's cra- obnoxious. And here's the other crazy part to it. And I was reading actually an op-ed about this. I think it was on Sci-Fi's website, S-Y-F-Y's okay. website. Okay. And it was interesting where they're basically being like, now they just rely on the new EU, over-rely on it. So when you have questions about the movies to like the real dedicated Star Wars nerds that are really like kind of just love everything Star Wars and, and don't really discern between anything, their answer is often like, oh, it's in the books. <laughs> oh, okay. So you just erased all of this shit that existed. And then you write a new set of books that to cover things that are supposed to be in the movies. It doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you one thing that the books don't do. The old EU doesn't do it. You don't need any of that information to enjoy the trilogy. But if you want to know where the first order came from, you need the books. If you want to know like fundamental answers to questions that should be answered in some way that are actually relevant to the stories, you need the books. So it's even worse. Yeah, I experienced that with Aftermath and leading into The Force Awakens. And you know what? I really don't like that. It's First of all, it just seems like late. I'm sorry. I know I know it's a ploy to make as much money as possible from, from a piece of content. Because if you want the whole story, you got to read the book too. A film, come on. Any, any filmmaker worth their salt will tell you, you don't do that. It's lazy storytelling. A movie is a, is a, is a standalone piece of storytelling you don't have you don't can not not with star wars you don't connect it's not like a choose your own adventure book or some scholastic thing that the kids get when they're younger this is a film it's supposed to be a film universe and you keep it in the film you keep all the information in the film that's just not the way to do things it's a, it just comes off as what it is greedy you know it's i don't agree with that at all it, it comes off not only to it's me terrible. it's terrible you're right it's greedy but it's also like you said it's it's it, or, or insinuated even it's sloppy it's it's sloppy. It's, it's so it's so predatory and i i i really hate that Di- i like actually hate now that disney is like involved in this like i i just cuz i know what they're going to do and people are too people are just too forgiving about a lot of stuff like I can't, I couldn't because a lot of people were like you should read the Thrawn book or not the Thrawn book the um the there's a uh, the aftermath book rather sure the Chuck, the Chuck it's right there I'm looking at it. Chuck it's Wendig. not that great uh, you know and read and read this and that and I'm like I'm not giving them another penny when they just told me that the three thousand dollars I spent as a kid when I had nothing like you were I was mowing lawns and doing whatever like these were this was real money it's not like now where like I can go buy a five or ten dollar book and it's like really not a big deal no I wasn't them. an adult right, right it was such an insult. That was really such an insult to me. I was really mad about it. Yeah. No, and, you were. And, and, you were and, right. and now that I'm going to go buy their other books. And then they, again, they have the nerve to just stamp the legend shit on these other books and keep publishing them. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. They well, bought it all. That's insane to me. Like that is actually the craziest one. of That's, that's actually the, like the icing, like the, the cherry on top, right? Like, yeah, guys, we're still going to publish them. Yeah. No, it's, 
we're gonna we at any moment any of this shit isn't true depending on what we say but yeah go ahead and read it buy you know give us some more money yeah I just I don't respect that at all. No, and, and it's not yeah. a way that it's not. You know what these you opened up this conversation now with the book creating the companion book pieces for the films. It's just and like you said, just to build on what you said, it's a, it's a way to sort of tell the people working on the films that they could just they don't have to fill in all the blanks or they don't have to really think about it that much because we have these books too. It's not the best way to craft a film. You know, everything should be riding on that film and making it a standalone piece of content that explains everything you need to explain and have it be a comprehensive piece of entertainment. You know, I mean, what's next? We're going to have to go on scavenger hunts and, you know, listen to Easter eggs on, you know, on a podcast. I mean, it's crazy. Read novellas and yeah, like- <laughs> it's like we're going to go into, you know, uh, one of those rooms and solve a mystery. Like, it's crazy. Come on. It's like, you know, make a, make the movies. Don't make them every year, too. That's a whole nother well, thing. I don't want to open up with a whole nother can yeah, of worms. No, I, can't, but, I, can't, I can't with that either. But it, it's just it's, too much. People, I'm telling you, man, that solo movie is going to be the litmus test for how much people can stand and how much... There are just... There, there are, I, I do not understand a fandom that can't look at itself critically. And Star Wars, with a lot of fans, is one of those fandoms. You know? With some... I want to say a lot. With some fans. Yeah. No, I agree. I love Mega Man. There are some awful Mega Man games. I am a classic core Mega Man fan and I hate two of the games in the classic Mega Man yeah, series. Yeah. Like, and you could say that. I don't care. It doesn't, that's a, that, that to me is being a fan, you know, is, is in saying like, man, seven and eight aren't very good. They're just not good games. I would be fine never playing those games ever again. Ever. That's totally fine with me. You know what book I hope they write is, I hope they write a book explaining why The Last Jedi half of it felt like a prequel. You know? That 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 horse racing scene. What uh, that maybe that's the one idea they kept from Lucas. That was bad. Oh my god! The more I think about it, the more I hate it. That anyway, I don't bad. want this. I don't want the show to be negative. No, that's okay. That's okay. So let's get the hell out of here. You want to do lightning round first? Let's do a lightning round. Okay, lightning round for Star Wars EU. Thank you for all your questions and thank you for listening. No answer is wrong. <laughs> here we go. Okay. Rancor or Sarlacc? Rancor. That's incorrect. Oh, really? No, that's correct. The Starlight has like no That's totally correct. I'm totally trolling you right now. Okay. X-Wing or TIE Fighter? TIE Fighter. Lando or Lobot? Lando. That is correct. Light side or dark side? Light side. That's incorrect. R- the dark side's definitely cooler, but I don't want to be a dark side. No, I hear. That's correct. R2-D2 or C-3PO? R2. Snowtrooper or Biker Scout? Biker Scout. That's correct. Forloom or... Forlom or Zuckus? Suckass. <laughs> Porkins or Biggs? Biggs. Okay, you finished the sentence. Okay. They came from behind. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> you have finished the sentence. Stabilize rear deflectors. Watch for. I don't know. Enemy, enemy fighters? Yes, very good. Very good. That was a deep cut. Okay, where would I leave off? New Hope Leia or Jabba's Palace Leia? Jabba's Palace. I mean, please, come on. Yeah, you're going Jabba's Palace? I think New Hope Leia is really cute with the buns. She she is, but Slave Leia is iconic. You know? I'm going to combine the two. Okay. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this one. For- <laughs> First Death Star or second Death Star? The second Death Star because it was it was so ridiculous that they were building it again. <laughs> Absolutely. That's correct. 
<laughs> you want to talk about lazy storytelling? Thrawn or Shizor? Thrawn. Oh, this is so. This is one you have to answer. Actually, think about it for a second. The anthology movie you'd most want to see, if it could be anything, what would you like to see the most? Man, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Holy shit. Um, there's a lot, again, because it's, it's a legend. There's a lot with IG-88. That's actually, some of it's covered in Shadows of the Empire. But there, yeah, a little but, bit. But there's, because actually there was a Boba Fett IG-88 two-pack toy that I remember. But oh yeah, but I would love to know more about him. And they tell that in Tales of Bounty Hunter. But again, it's a legend. He's a scary character. He scares me. He was the scariest character. I know you don't like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Grievous, but yeah, he was the original Grievous for me. IG-88 scared me for some reason. Yeah, he's super harrowing. Like, yeah, he's a weird dude. With his like thin-ass face. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody with a face that thin needs to Look at Tar- Tarkin. He also, he also frightened me. Uh, okay, so that was a good answer. Tauntaun or Dubak? Tauntaun. That's correct. Uh, intact Tauntaun or slit open Tauntaun? Slit open Tauntaun. That's incorrect. Oh, Jawa or Tuscan Raider? I, I, take, I take issue with that just because we saw Han split him open with a lightsaber, which is still one of my favorite things. Can uh, I? I thought I invented the Tauntaun sleeping bag until I went on Google and found that everybody made that slit open Tauntaun everything, including the sleeping bag. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire right now. And then I thought I invented the R2-D2 that you could sl- strap to the top of your car to make it look like, like an X-Wing. And I definitely did not. Also, That was also around for 10 years before I thought of it. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a good one. Yeah. What was the next question? Uh, what, where was I? Oh, Jawa or Tusken Raider? Boutini. Good answer. Boba Fett flirting with the dancing girl or Boba Fett ignoring the dancing girl? Flirting. That's incorrect. I know you have a, you, we, we can do a whole episode on that because I think that was so cool. I love yeah, that. you like that. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't understand. <laughs> Steve Perry or Steve Perry? Uh, Steve Perry. That's correct. All right. That was great. Thank you so much, Dagan. Appreciate you. Appreciate all of you out there listening to our episode. Thank you so much for submitting this topic, voting on this topic. Remember, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for, amongst other things, to be able to submit your own topics, vote on topics, and hopefully see your topic on Knockback in the future, and also submit questions, comments, concerns, memories, and thoughts which we've gone through on this episode. And of course, you can early, also get early access to the show for you know a week early. And um, you know we could really use your support, but of course, you don't have to do that. You can enjoy the product for free if you don't want to. Please try my product. Do you, do you know that reference? Wait, no, say it again. There was, you probably won't know it. There was okay. this guy, like, had like, he had like a gray hair and like a mustache on TV in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. And he would sell like these instructional CD ROMs. <laughs> Sounds so for, sad. That for use. like, you know, like how to use word or how to use like the internet and stuff like okay. that. And at the end of it, he'd be like, please try my product. So sincere. I know it was like very sincere. Dude, I would definitely try every one of that guy's products. Yeah. But I don't know. He, he, I don't know what happened to that guy. I get, you know, the internet became a thing and they, there was no more need for a, 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 a word, a word. Uh, I feel so bad for that guy. Oh, he probably made a lot of money. Ah, fuck. You can't guy. feel, but you gotta, you gotta adapt. Just got that guy. Fuck him, <laughs> <an> idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks, Wedge. <laughs> Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at Patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. 
Ahmed Alois, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, David Buford, Spencer Bran, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, John Burry, Alex Cabrera, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Matthew Canoy, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Jay Chandarlis, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Philip Crone, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanikos, Mitchell Durkash, Luke Drake, David Ellis, Eric Finkenbeiner, Michael Fior, Connor Gassian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, David Gurley, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Andrew Hess, Stephen Insler, Josh Yeager, Paul Joyce, Benjamin Kane, Jeremy Key, Nathaniel Khalil, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mutkar, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nixch, Andrew O., Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ryan Robertson, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Etanogenis Rojas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, James Schmetz, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Mike Shaw, Rayanne Scheinabarger, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Alex Simmons, Riley Smith, Jordan Smith, Gerard Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Ahmed Tamar, Tam Tran, Kevin Van Ekeren, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Chris Wong, Michael Wells, Payne White, Tyler Woodall, Benjamin Worrell, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Madmock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Chris, Donk 2015, and Random Guy Radio.